Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. We ask you to be with us as we look at your word and show us what you would want us to see from all this study. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a, a potter's earthen bottle, and take of the ancients of the people, and of the ancients of the priests, and go forth into the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is at by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell you. And say, Hear you the word of the Lord, the, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever hears his ears shall tingle, because they have forsaken me and estranged this place, and have burned incense unto, in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. So we're going to start right there because this is the message that Jeremiah is going to give out. And God says, go to the potter's house, the potter, and buy a clay pot, basically, <laughs> an earthen, earthen, earthen. Uh, uh, go buy something made out of clay, some kind of clay pitcher or something. So he's been told to, and he says, take the ancients. It's kind of an interesting, interesting word because it means leaders, you know, or elders, uh, the elders of the people and the elders of the priests. So not just any leader, but go get the older <laughs> leaders amongst them. And so his job is to go find the leaders of leaders, basically, and people that are in there. And it says, go to the va valley of the son of Hinnon. And the word Hinnon means lamentation. So here he's been told to go out and find these people and go to the valley of Hinnon. Uh, the, the valley of Hinnon is a deep, narrow ravine that's uh, just, just outside of Jerusalem, on the north, and it's a sloping uh, plateau that goes down on the south. So it's a deep ravine just outside of Jerusalem. And so in, it's next to the east, at the entry of the east gate. Now the east gate in Jerusalem has many names that we know it by. It's known as the sun gate because it's the one that the sun shines in first. It's the gate of the king where the kings were supposed to go in and out. So if you read the king... Uh, the gate of the king. It's also known as the gate. All these different terms for it. It currently, since the mid, mid, medieval days, has been sealed shut. The last great experience that was gone through it is they believe that that was the gate that Jesus went into in the triumphant entry, showing that he was the king coming into Jerusalem. It's the one that makes sense because coming out of um, yes, Mount Olivet, <laughs> down straight down that would have been the most straight shot from Mount Olivet into Jerusalem. It's sealed and there are many people that talk about prophecy saying that when Jesus comes that will be the gate that they will open up for him to return on a second coming as he sweeps in after having touched down on Mount Olivet he'll go in through the the east gate and it'll be opened up for the king. So this is a pretty significant gate that he's going to as far as the history of the Jerusalem, the history of, of the prophecies. 
and says, go by there and proclaim the words that I tell you. Many places in Jeremiah, this statement is in, proclaim the words that I give you. And you know, Jeremiah had a really tough time because he was preaching at a time when it didn't appear that there were any other believers in Jerusalem. Not many in, in, all, of, in all of Judea. But it doesn't appear that he had any support anywhere because that's his complaint several times. God, nobody is on my side. Nobody cares. Nobody's listening. And God had told him right on the beginning, if you remember, I'm going to make you a pillar of iron, a, a, a tower of brass, and nobody's going to be able to touch you. But, you know, how would you feel if you seemed to be the only one that was speaking God's word in an entire population? And this is something that, you know, we need to be prepared because there may come a time when, you know, if we're truly at the end days, like most people, including myself, believe, there may come a time when we're going to be standing up and feeling very lonely standing for God and being very much at risk. Persecution is coming even in America, and it's going to be tough. We're already seeing persecution fall on lots of people, and we need to be ready for this. Jeremiah was filling out his whole his whole ministry, especially toward the end when, when God's bringing judgment on it. Now, we know that God says he always has a remnant, so he, Jeremiah wasn't the only one, but they weren't jumping out of their seats and running to Jeremiah's side saying, we're on your side. And when things are getting tough, most people do not jump up out of their seat and go, well, I'm on your side, I'm with you. And it's often needed, but it's not happening in Jeremiah. And the word that he was supposed to tell them in verse 3, Hear you the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. So his audience is the kings and the people. And he's grabbed the elders of the priests, the elders of, the, of Jerusalem, which would probably be some princes involved in that, leaders. And he says, God says, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and the which whosoever hears his ears shall tingle. Now, this is very interesting, you know, the idea of the tingling of the ears, that, you know, something so big that it was going to tickle their ears and make them amazed at what happened. Now, anything happening in Jerusalem would be a big deal to the Jews anyway, because they believed that Jerusalem was protected by God, because God said, this is my temple, my presence is on it, it'll stay there forever. And even though they did not worship God uh, the way they were supposed to, they would point to the temple and say, that's where God stays. Even though they worshiped every other God under the sun, they would point to the temple and say, God is with us, we, ca we can't fall. Now, even though they had him amongst one of many gods that they worshiped, they, they had this very confused thought process. We're not worshiping God, but he's up there on the hill and he's going to protect us even though we're not... We're not following because he promised that that's his, where he was going to stay. You know, this is a problem sometimes, and this is one of the accusations that you know, people will make with, against us that believe that we, you cannot lose your salvation. They'll go, well, see, that just means you can live the way you want to live, and you can do whatever sin you want. Well, maybe, but you're still going to face the judgments for doing, doing those sins, just as Israel faced sins, uh, judgment for their sins. Uh, and as I've said so many times, if you can sin without being convicted, then you don't know God. And there's, there's the problem. These people, even though they were Jews, did not know God. 
They didn't, you know, they said, I'm circumcised and we're one of God's people, but they had no relationship with God and nobody cared about what was going on with God. They might have even gone to the temple and offered their three, three yearly sacrifices, might have given God some gifts when they went to the temple, but their heart wasn't focused on him. And God says, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming because of all these things. And when this judgment comes, it is going to be so severe that people are going to be amazed at what happens. And this is really what happens. Jerusalem, when it fell to Nebuchadnezzar, fell quickly and hard. He destroyed everything. And usually on a major city like this with a great big, you know, attraction like the temple was. The temple was one of the great wonders of the world. And they would usually at least protect the wonder of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar wipes out the entire city. Lays it basically flat. And tears down every brick off the temple, every brick off the walls. Leaves very few buildings intact. And the people hear that and they're going, wow, what happened? This, you know, this was supposed to be God's, the city of the, the God of the Jews the one that did all the miracles. And it's kind of amazing that the enemies of Israel knew the miracles of God better than the Jews did, apparently. You know, you think about this. When they, 40 years in the wilderness, when they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan, what does Rahab tell the spies? We know what your God did to Egypt, and we are terrified of you. By that time, the, the children of Israel had pretty much forgotten what happened in Egypt. They, they've been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, forgetting about the greatness of their God, even though he fed them every day. He gave them water every day and took care of all their needs, gave them quail every morning and every night. And they could not stay focused on how great their God was. And when they come into the land, the people are going, yeah, we know what your God did to Egypt, and probably they could have said, and we know that he's been feeding you in the desert for 40 years. We don't know how, how you've managed to survive wandering in a desert for 40 years with you know, three and a half million people. Your God is powerful. And they were, they were more afraid of the God of Israel than the children of Israel were afraid, you know, reverencing their God. We're at this point here even at them, where they're not reverencing God and don't recognize God and the enemy knows God better than they do, or at least the power of God. And so here we're seeing them. And why was all this going to happen? Because they have forsaken me, God said. They have abandoned me. They have left him behind. And you know, I look at our country as well and how our country is abandoning God completely. If God says something's good, our, our nation says it's bad. If God says something's bad, it says it's good. And it's not so long ago, you know, we're all old enough to remember when good was called good and evil was called evil. And it's changed so quickly in our country where people have abandoned God. Now, granted, it started, you know, big time in the 60s, but even in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, it started changing. But all of a sudden, it has just accelerated. But it started, you know, if you look at the history, you can see probably even in the late 1800s, you can start seeing the people were leaving God in very small ways. But it has just accelerated. And you're right, it, is, it has just jumped crazy. 
you know, for a long time it was just little things here, there. Now it's just about everything is gone crazy. If it, if God says it's good, they say it's bad. If God says it's bad, they're saying it's good, and we're seeing the forsaking of God completely, just as Jerusalem did. So we can understand what they were going through. Jeremiah is looking around and saying, "What is wrong with all you people? God says this is evil, and here you are." doing all the things he says that you're not supposed to do. Remember the last chapter, he said, God just wants one thing from you right now, honor the Sabbath. Because they were buying and selling and, and doing market and everything else on, on the Sabbath because they had totally abandoned the one sign that God said, this is your special sign, Jews. And they abandoned that. And now he's chastising them even further. You've totally abandoned God. As we look at our country right now, I am shocked how fast our country is, is turned away from God completely. And if there's not some great revival, then we are without hope. Uh, we're in the election season, everybody's going, well, vote, vote for the Democrats, vote for the Republicans, because they're your only hope, depending on what you believe in. My hope is not in either party because neither one of them are going to bring us to where we, I know we need to be because we need to repent and come back to God and neither party is going to bring us back to God. Uh, and so we don't want to be into that, but we want to understand that there needs to be revival. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. You have forsaken me and have estranged this place. And this is kind of an interesting word, estranged, and it means to treat as foreign. So it goes, this is your home, and, you're, and it's God's, God's home because the temple's here, and you're treating it as a foreign place. Now, and I kind of think that even when we look in our country, how many places, in especially the cities, can you travel to five or six different countries just by going a few blocks apart because these neighborhoods in the, in the cities are not acclimating to being American anymore. They're just building their own country within those places and they have no desire to integrate. And we are no longer a melting pot. We are a nation of many, many cultures that do not want to be American. They want all the rights of America, but they want to live under their culture. And I understand that in the early days, the, you know, the, the groups would gather together, but their, their, their long-term plan was not to be a Irishman in America. They wanted to be Americans of Irish descent. They wanted to be French, of, you know, Americans of French descent. They did not want to keep their own nationality. They wanted to become Americans and we're not seeing that anymore. And this is basically says, you have estranged this place. You have made it a foreign place. The next statement he has, and you have burned incense in it unto other gods. I remember we talked a couple weeks ago that he had said that every corner has an altar on it that you're burning, burning, burning incense and offering sacrifices. This is in Jerusalem, God's city, was worshiping other gods, and yet the Jewish people would say, well, "This is our God up there on the hill. We're not. We haven't been to the temple. For, we only go to the temple three times a year, and we worship all these other gods the rest of the year." But he, he's our God. He's going to protect this city. Duplicity of somebody living in the flesh can be crazy. Even on a Christian living by the, the ways of the flesh. 
Oh, I believe in God. I believe I'm going to heaven. But you know what? I'm going to live like I don't believe in God. I don't believe that he's going to do anything for me. This is what they're basically saying. Uh, that's God up on the hill. We believe in him. But, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, no, we don't believe in him. We don't care about him. We're going to offer incense to whatever, whatever God we want. And it says, neither they nor their fathers have known. In other words, they have totally com converted. It has been generations since these gods have been worshipped in Jerusalem. And then he goes even further, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. Now this word innocence literally means innocent, pure and clean. Most likely the blood of their children, because these gods would ask for the sacrifice of children. But it could be any innocent, anybody following God, who is trying to follow God, who is being under persecution. We're seeing it in our country. Abortion is killing millions of babies every year, innocents, all to the God of pleasure and leisure. And then we have all kinds of people that are following after God, and they're being persecuted and pressed against, basically shedding the blood of innocents. And it will only get worse. As time goes on, it will only get worse, because that's what history shows us. Over and over again, the innocents will die. The early part of the church, every couple hundred years, somebody, some new king or, or would come along and uh, persecute the church and do a great slaughter of the church. And we are seeing that even in our day and age, millions of Christians every year are being martyred. Now, we don't hear about it because our news will never tell us about all these Christians being killed, they'll, they'll never say anything about it. Because that would be awful to, to admit that, admit that a, a particular religion is being, being attacked. Now they'll tell us all about every other religion being attacked, which is kind of strange. But here he's saying, you guys are following these and innocents are dying. All over the place, innocents are dying to the gods that were there. Now, we have gods in our world. We, you know, we like to think, well, we don't worship idols. Well, technically, we don't have statues anywhere, but we have gods all over the place. Anything that is in the place of God above or even equal to him is a god. And even if they're just close to God, you know, maybe we say, that's my god, but I place something else really close to being a god, we've got a problem. And America is full of idols that people would never say were idols. And it's been said, and I agree, that if you want to find out who the God of somebody is, look at their checkbook and look at their calendar. How, where do they spend their money? That'll tell you a lot about who is God. But, you know, we look at this and say, where are we? How important is God to us? The Jewish people were going to be under judgment because God was not number one in their life. And he wanted to be number one. He does not desire to be number two or three or four. He says, I am God. I am one. And the Ten Commandments, the very first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. And plain and simple, number one. There is no other God. And then it says, you have built high places also of Baal to burn their sons with fire of burnt offerings unto Baal. 
which I have not commanded nor spoke it, neither came it into my mind. He goes, you've got all these idols to Baal and you're sacrificing your children. And it's hard for me to even comprehend the idea of sacrificing a child. When you really come down to it, abortion is just sacrificing your child and what they'll say is and you listen to it all the time well it was the best choice for me because it would have been inconvenient for me to have that child really what they're saying is because it would in interrupt my lifestyle i'm going to get rid of this child i'm sacrificing my child to the god of pleasure or work or whatever reason they use for sacrificing that child this one if you understand who Baal is, Baal's the god of success. So what were they sacrificing for? I want a success in my business, my life. I want, I want good things. So the same thing. This child's in my way of success. We're going to get rid of it so that I can have success. What a sad way of thinking. But it's just currently what we're doing. We just do it, as you said, it's a little easier our way because we don't actually see the baby. We don't hear it cry unless you look at a sonogram of them get dismembering that baby in there and you know we've we have different sonograms that have come out that show the baby and the reaction of the baby to being burnt through the chemicals or being sucked out as it as they do and they use a disonogram to make sure they see it and there's the the as you said it's a little easier by us because we do it before we ever see them you know it's not really a baby it's just a bunch of cells in there you know it's a baby my my daughter-in-law and my son have already given us the pictures. They know that that baby who's only a couple months old is a, is a boy. That's how clear the pictures are already. So we know what, it, what that baby is. And it's only a couple months old. You know, well within the idea of a boarding time frame. And yet we know that it's a baby and we know that it's a, going to be a boy. It seems to me that it's just... That's exactly what it is. It's for convenience sake. Well, you listen to them to defend their thing. Well, it was the right decision for me because I'd have, I was just starting my business. I was just, uh, you know, we, didn't, we couldn't afford it. Uh, literally, they'll go, well, I don't, I don't want the commitment of having to take care of a child because it gets in the way. It's a serious issue. And yet, this is what the Jewish people were doing. They're, they're just sacrificing their babies after the fact. And it says, God says, it is, I never commanded people to, to offer your children. And I love this. And it never came to my mind. God says, I had never even considered asking you to sacrifice your children. Now, having had that said, I know that he told Abraham to go and offer Isaac. But he also knew that he was not going to let Isaac go through with it, or uh, let Abraham go through with offering Isaac. He already knew that he was going to provide the lamb, and it became the picture of G God offering Jesus on the cross. But God is telling them, I had never even thought about you all offering your children. And this is Satan's activity. You know, these children are in your way. Why don't you just get rid of a few of them? You can, you can take them to the altar and, and, and burn them, and, and you'll get blessings because of, all, because of this. You're going to offer something that's important to you. Your, your kid you didn't want anyway, but you can tell them it was important and get blessed. And God's saying, I never even thought about asking for your children that way, to be burnt. 
Now, he wants our children. He wants them to be committed to him. He wants us to be committed, but never to be killed on an altar. Verse 6, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnon, but of the valley of slaughter. And I will make, a void, make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hands of them that seek their lives and their carcasses will I give for meat to the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone that passes thereby shall be astonished and hiss because of the plagues thereof. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and they shall eat every one the flesh of his friends in the siege and straightness. Wherefore their enemies and they that seek their lives shall straighten, straighten them. Then shall you break the bottle in the sight of the people, the men that go with you, and shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city as one breaks the potter's vessel, that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. So here he goes. God says, Behold in that day that this place will no more be called Tophet or place of fire, because it's not going to be called the place of fire, nor the valley of the son of Hinnon. We already told you that this, this son of, the, the valley of Hinnon was the uh, lamentation. <laughs> not going to be fire or lamentation he goes but it will be called the valley of slaughter God says so many people are going to die that I'm you're not even going to call it lamentation you're going to call it the valley of slaughter and when Jerusalem falls hundreds and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of Jewish believers died and then the rest were carried off into captivity God brought death because of all of their sin. He'd finally had enough, and he says, it is now time to end. And it became a place of slaughter. And he says, I will void or empty the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of them that seek their lives and their carcasses I will give for meat to the fowls of the heaven and for the beast of the earth. Now this is referring, this is a prophecy that's going to go on. When they're under, under attack, the kings of Israel try to make alliances with other nations to protect them. All of their councils. First they go to Egypt, the second strongest nation in, in, at the time. Nation, uh, Egypt agrees to come and help them and... Egypt gets wiped out. They go to another place and say, you know, would you come and help us? We're going to pay you to help us. And they get wiped out. Everything they did, God said, it's not going to work. And this is something for all of us. If you turn your back on God and you have great plans, I've done this myself, not doing things God's way, trying to do it my way, and watch God turn all the plans to void, empty. And I've, all, I've shared this with you many times. I, I fought with God for six or seven years. I was going to fix my problems. I was going to do it. And I put together all kinds of good plans. And even to this day, I know they were good plans. Only problem is 
God says they're not going to work. And when God says something isn't going to work, it's not going to work. It doesn't matter how good the plan is. And this is where we are with our country. Without repentance, it does not matter how good the plans are to try to fix our country. They won't work. God will bring them to naught. And this is because they made great plans. They're going to go, we're going to, we're going to go hire the, the second strongest place and we'll go, we'll go out and help them. And, and it didn't work. And God says, I'm going to bring your plans, your counsels to void. He goes, I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies. When they go to battle, they will lose. Now, how many times did God take the kings of Israel and put, take them into battle against enemies? There was no possible way they could defeat, but they were following him and they defeated their enemies. And yet God says, I don't care what you do. You will not win the battles coming your way. And over and over again, the last kings would go to battle and get beat and lose over and over again. And they would make these plans and not have them help. And God says, and their carcasses will I give to be meat of the fowls of the air and the beast of the earth. In other words, you won't even bury your dead. Now, we go, okay, that's a bad, bad deal. But you don't really fully understand what this means to the Jew. The Jew believed that you had to have your body buried within, by, the, by nightfall. Or it was going to be desecrated and your soul would not go to, be able to go to heaven. And God's telling them, you're not going to bury your dead. They're going to be food for the birds and the beasts. And this is a shocking thing. God frequently does things and says things that shock his people. When they're in their mindset, he goes, what do you mean we're not going to bury? There's no way we would leave them behind to be, to be not buried. And even to this day, as far as I know, the Jews bury their, bury their dead by nightfall. Which does not make the police and investigating groups very happy because these bodies are interned extremely quickly. And so there's a problem with all of this. And he says, I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Now this idea of, of hissing, it's the intake of breath because people get so... Um, shocked at what they see that they take that deep breath or the other extreme is if you've ever seen something so bad that almost a whistle comes out of your voice when when you expel excel that whoa look at this you know that's what this word is meaning Jerusalem was going to be so bad that God said when everybody sees it that they're going to just be amazed and, and kind of the intake of their of their breath or the expel of their breath is going to be whoa, what, what could have happened to, to this? There used to be a city here, and now there's nothing. It's empty. There's nothing here. And everyone that passes shall be astonished or appalled at what they see. And again, the idea that the people coming to Jerusalem, there used to be this beautiful city. Now there's nothing. And they get there. It kind of would be the same point if you've seen any movie about the apocalypse times, you know, when great cities are totally wiped out and they're just hulks out there that are no longer cities. That's the type of picture that this is. It has been destroyed and people are looking at it and saying, what could have happened to do this? What could have happened that this is no longer a city? All the beauty is gone. All the people are gone. And God has totally destroyed 
this city. And it says because of all the plagues that are on it. All right. So Jerusalem is going to be totally wiped out. Verse 9 says, And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, that, and they shall eat everyone the flesh of his friends in the siege and in the straightness or the pressure. Now this is something that has happened on several occasions in Jerusalem where cannibalism waged during the siege. And it's not uncommon in history for people, for cannibalism to start taking over when people are starving to death in these sieges. Uh, Lamentations 4 verse 10 and Lamentations 2.20 are part of this in days when Jeremiah is lamenting the fact that they're eating their own children, their own friends. Ezekiel 5, 9 and 10 say this, give us the same picture. We see this going on uh, during the days of Hezekiah on his, his siege and people were eating their own kids and he tore his robes and went before God. You know, because people got so hungry that they started their own natural desires did not even keep them from eating their own kids. I can't imagine being that hungry. I can't imagine even thinking about eating my own kids or my best friend or anything. But we've heard, we've heard the stories all through, all through history. There's various Donner Pass had this happen to them. Uh, various other groups have been so isolated and it's a choice of this person's dying anyway. We'll all die if, you know, if we don't get something to eat, so we're just going to eat this person who's dying. That's what this whole thing was about. And sometimes they weren't even dying. They were just so hungry that they were easily easy to kill, so they killed them. Uh, and this is something that was prophesied that it was going to happen, and it did. It did during the siege of Nebuchadnezzar on Jerusalem. They started eating their own family members. And, you know, when it was said, it would have been a horrible idea. How, there's no way we're going to eat... You know, which I don't understand. They're willing to kill their kids on the on the fire and the on the stone, but you know this should not have been that big a shocker to them that they would then eat their kids to stay alive. But yet that's one thing. Uh, Therefore, your enemies and they that wait on your lives shall straighten them or make things tighter and put pressure on them. And this is what he's saying. It's going to get so bad that the unthinkable is going to be done. And I sometimes wonder how bad is our country going to get. Now, we know that in the end days that people would do what is right in their own eyes. And I don't know how far we are, we are from that because it sure seems like a lot of people are doing what's right in their own eyes already. And there seems to be no stopping them. And we as Christians are being highly criticized when we say that what you're doing is wrong. How bad would this world be if Christians weren't out there saying this is wrong? Now, with, we, we're being a little bit of salt you know, just a little bit of salt in a rotten, rotten environment, and it's slowing the decay down, but it's decaying much faster. It won't be long before God's going to take the salt out, and we're going to be, we're going to, and if before that, there's going to be persecution saying, we don't want, we don't want this salt. It hurts. If you've ever put salt in a wound or had salt hit a wound, you know how bad that hurts. We are the salt of this world, and we are putting salt in the wounds of the world. They don't like it. It hurts. And when something hurts, what happens? People react. And it's going to keep getting worse. 
We're telling people that homosexuality is wrong, transgenderism is wrong, abortion is wrong. We're telling them that stealing is wrong, lying is wrong, gossip is wrong, and they don't like being told that what they're doing is wrong. But it does meet down into their conscience, and it pricks their conscience, which makes it even worse. Because now all of a sudden they're hurting inside as well as the outside when they heard things they didn't want to hear. And they're going to react. And they're going to be angry about what they're hearing. Jeremiah had people get angry at him all the time. They, they were constantly putting him in prison and jail and all these other things because of his words that hurt because they're God's words. And their reaction was not to repent. It was to push against God. And this is where he's at with all of this. He goes, and then you shall break that bottle in the sight of all that go with you. So here's the picture. He's been talking with these people, giving, he's holding this bottle all the time he's talking. And then he takes this, takes this clay pot and slams it down on the ground. And I believe that he slammed it because of the picture of it. It was broken in so many pieces that it could not be put back together because that's going to be the other half of his thing. And then he says, this you shall say to him, thus saith the Lord, even so will I break this people and this city as one breaks the potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they will bury them in Tophet till there be no place to bury. So his picture was this pot being busted up into pieces, and then he says, God's going to do this to you. And so that you cannot be put back together. And what does God do when Jerusalem falls? Large percentage of the population dies. And those who don't die are carried and scattered all through the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar scattered them through 120 provinces. From the Mediterranean all the way to India, he put the Jewish people. God says, you're not going to be put back together without a supernatural activity being done. And that was his promise to them. You're going to, when, I, when I separate you, you guys are not, not going to be able to be put back together. And by sight, Israel should never have been put back together 70 years after the Babylonian captivity. But that's what God said. 70 years, you're going to be returned. Now, when they were, the diaspora in Rome, when they were scattered all through the Roman Empire, there was no hope of the Jews ever being put back together again until 1948 when God allowed them to be put back into a nation. Twice now, Israel has been reconstituted as a nation. Twice now, they've held their Jewishness while they were away from, from their land. Not completely, but enough to be totally separate. Jews have always thought of themselves as Jews first, citizens of their country that they're in second. Now, if only we as Christians could get that same attitude, that we are Christians, we are citizens of heaven first, and then we're citizens of the nation that we're part of. In America, we've not done a very good job of that overall. In many parts where they're under persecution, they understand that we're citizens of heaven first, and this nation that we're in second. How would that change our attitude about everything? I'm going to honor God no matter what. No matter what happens, I will honor God and what he desires, and this nation is secondary. And we're called in the New Testament that we are ambassadors for Christ. 
Now this is a very powerful picture. What is an ambassador of another country in another country? They are a representative of the country they're from. And they're to act and behave in a way that makes their country look good. And if you don't live correctly in your country, you will be recalled by your country. If you bring shame to your country by your actions in that nation, you will be recalled. We are Christians that are supposed to represent heaven, which should put us at a higher standard than anybody else out there in the, in the world because we're living for heaven. And we are ambassadors and the power that goes with an ambassador you know, ambassadors, because they represent other countries, get privileges in every country that they're in. Uh, I think I've shared this with you. I know a pastor friend who, he was in Aust Austria with the ambassador's daughter, not even the ambassador in his car. And they're pulling up to a, to a checkpoint on a, on a border. And she says, you can go into this special lane over. He goes, uh-uh, I'm not going in that. That's for the difference. She goes, I have, I have the clearance. And he pulled up and he says the officers were looking at him in his old beat up, broken down car. And she flashed her passport as the ambassador's daughter and their whole attitude changed. And they waved them through. You know, what, I take it that only so that we understand the power of just being an ambassador in these countries and being related to the ambassador all right so we are ambassadors for Christ in this world and which is a great position if we just start realizing who it is not only are we ambassadors we are the sons and daughters of the king we are princes and princesses of the king and not only that we are the bride of Christ we are going to be in the royal family completely how much authority and power do we have if we just truly realized the power yeah we have so much power over everything if we just realize the level of authority and power so we need to be very careful about who we think we are most of us live totally defeated lives because we don't even comprehend who we are and what we represent. And we need to be very careful and say, we're going to follow God in this light. Verse 11 says, And they shall say, and, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Even so I will break this people in this city, and as one breaks the potter's vessel, that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in, the, in Tophet, till there be no place to bury Thus will I do unto this place, says the Lord, and to the inhabitants thereof, and even make this city as Tophet. The houses of Jerusalem, the houses of the kings of Judah, shall be defiled as the place of Tophet, because of all the houses upon whose roofs they have burned incense unto all the hosts of heaven, and have poured out drink offerings unto other gods. Then came Jeremiah from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because, behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns on all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. So after he breaks this, he says God's not going to do this, and he's going there, and they will bury everybody in Tophet, or the place of fire, 
until there be no more room to bury. Now, I don't know how many bodies had to be buried someplace to have no more room to bury. But he says, there's going to be so much dead that you're going to run out of places to bury them. All right? And he says, thus saith the Lord to Jerusalem and to the inhabitants thereof, to even make this city as Tophet, a place of fire. The city would be a place of fire. Is that a, is that a prophecy? It's a prophecy at this point. No, this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Armageddon probably will be part of it too, but Nebuchadnezzar did this to them. Nebuchadnezzar, when he came in, totally destroyed the city, burnt, burnt it, killed tens of thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people, and, and they didn't get buried. He just took and carried off the people that were left. Matter of fact, the king tried to run away. They broke a hole in the wall, and he tried to run away and got caught. And Jeremiah had told him, just surrender, and God will take care of you, and he didn't listen. All right? So this is a prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we've said this before. Almost every prophecy has a dual prophecy has an immediate response and a future. So I'm not going to rule out that he's also talking about Armageddon, you know, when it's all going to be totally wiped out and, and they're going to be burning the weapons of war, war for, for years and there's going to be, it's going to take them weeks and weeks and weeks to be able to bury all the dead from that battle. So I'm not going to rule out that parcel, but we do know the fulfillment of this was Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of the city, the death of the people, uh, the burning down of the entire city uh, was done during Nebuchadnezzar's day. And then he goes, verse 13, And the house of Jerusalem, the house of the king of Judah, shall be defiled as the place of Tophet, again it burning, because of all the houses upon whose roofs they have burned incense to the host of heaven and have poured out drink offerings to other gods. Not only on every corner were they offering sacrifices, but they had incense altars on every roof, worshiping all the gods and the stars and the suns and the moons and the planets and everything out there. They were worshiping anything and everything to, to worship God. And God says, I have plain had enough. And I think about even in our world right now, when we think about the... Uh, astrology that's kicking in and the worship of these gods and all of these things that are going on and wonder about what is going on in our world as we are turning to every god under the sun and they're worshiping people literally worship all the planets and all the stars and and the animals people are worshiping the earth they're worshiping you know you name it and people are worshiping it they may not have a idol you know statue in there but they are worshiping all of these things and I never would have thought that all these things would have come, come out of the woodwork. Tarot cards, uh, diviners, and necromancers, and people talking to, the, talking to the dead and calling up dead spirits. And it's just exploding. And the demonic world and worship system is going crazy right now. And we need to be concerned about that because it's a sign of the end times, which is good. If we're not going to repent, then we get to go home soon. We get to get raptured from this world very soon if this continues to go the direction it's going. I would like to see a revival because I've got some grandchildren. I'd like to see them give a chance to grow up. Now, if they're saved, that's fine. They'll go, they'll go in the rapture as well. But, you know, it's, but it's coming to an end without repentance. And we're going to see all of this.
But before that repentance will come and the rapture will come, there will be hard times. And we need to prepare for those hard times and the possibility of giving our life for God. Because this is where he's going. And he says, because you have done all this evil, I'm pouring out judgment. And I look around our country and going, God, can you do no less to our country? Could you do no less to the world? Because our country's not even the worst in the world. And God is going to pour out judgment upon this world. Now, and so we're going to watch all this. Then came Jeremiah from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to the people. So God brings him from outside the city at the east gate and says, okay, now go to the temple and speak. It's kind of interesting. Outside the city, he could get away real easy. Inside the city, he's got the city walls to keep him from escaping. And not only that, God sends him into the temple, which only has three or four gates to get out of. So he is really in danger at this point. And God's message to them says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon the city and upon all her towns and all all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their neck, that they might not hear my words. God says, okay, I've been telling you judgment's coming. I've been telling you to repent. You have refused to repent. You have not even listened to my words. I'm going to bring all the judgments that I've said I'm going to bring. Again, I see the parallel to our country. So many people will say, oh, you Christians are just a bunch of doomsayers and gloomy and they're trying to bring your, your rules and regulations on us and it's you guys are the problem, not us. If you would just evolve and grow, grow with us and realize that we, we, are, we are the new trend and what they don't realize is they're not the new trend. They're a very old trend that's been going on for, for millennia just under new names, new, new, new disguises. But all they're doing is what has been done. Going all the way back to before, before Noah and people did what was right in their own eyes. Going to, to, to the Tower of Babel and Nimrod. Going back through all these times in the Bible where people did what was right in their own eyes and worshipped other gods. And we're there again in our world. And the question is, is there going to be a revival? Is God going to hold off? How long is God's long suffering going to last? When we get to Jeremiah, God's been telling them this message for a couple hundred years. I'm bringing judgment, I'm bringing judgment, I'm bringing judgment. And each time they would repent for a short time or have a king to bring them to repentance. This time there's not going to be a repentance. And God is saying, and he's saying right here, I am going to bring all these evils upon you. you know, and basically he's saying everything Jeremiah's told you, everything Isaiah told you, everything Ezekiel's telling you, everything that all these different prophets have told you is coming upon you because of your failure to hear. And this is where we're at in our world is people are failing to hear. Is there enough followers of God to repent and bring God's favor back. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're at the point of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah or not. I don't know if there will be another revival. 
I'm ready either way. If there's not a revival, I'm ready to face the persecution and say, God, give me the strength to go through it until the rapture and then take me home. If we have revival, praise God, we get another couple hundred, another 50 to 100 years in this world. I won't be around to see the the next generation of falling. Now, grandkids, maybe, but I won't be there to see the falling away, but eventually people will harden their neck and close their ears, and God says, enough is enough. I'm bringing all the judgments that I said that I would bring, and this is where we're at. Are we ready to listen? Are we ready to pray for revival? Are we going to be a light, and are we ready to suffer if need be because of the darkness of the world? Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, give us understanding of what to see where we're at, to understand where we're at, and to be strengthened that if we should be asked to suffer for you, that we are ready, willing, and able through your spirit to do so. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.